Hello, everyone, and welcome to Teaching Writing in College. This is episode four, A Transfer Inventory. And I'd like to just start out by uh, sharing some news as I get started. This is only episode four. I've only been doing this for a few weeks. I haven't um, published episodes as often as, as I would like, but I would like to continue to do so as much as I can. For now, we have Teaching Writing in College on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts. Uh, there's also a Facebook page where I would like to post announcements and links. And now there's also a YouTube channel where you can watch videos like the podcast for today. I have the audio on Apple and Google, but then also on the YouTube channel, Teaching Writing in College, there is going to be the video of what we're going to discuss today. So that's exciting, and I just hope to continue to offer different formats for people, including sometimes video. Video today because I would like to go over a lesson plan in a series, an ongoing series um, about praxis. And so I think, you know, just to get started, I will rehearse the basic blurb about teaching writing in college, what it's about. Teaching writing in college explores the connections between writing pedagogy and learning transfer. Ep episodes emphasize praxis, the relationship between the theoretical and the practical, in an effort to understand how people learn to write and how educators might make the most of the time they have with their learners. The driving question is, how can instructors in higher education leverage theory, science, pedagogy, and craft most effectively to help their students with writing? And I'm just noticing here that... Um, I was uh, typing kind of quickly. I probably have some typos, so I apologize for that. And um, we'll go ahead and get started here. Eventually. Okay, so to begin, um, I'd like to talk just a little bit about the inspiration for what I'm about to talk about. Uh, one part of inspiration comes from Perkins and Solomon. We've got the Elon Statement on Writing Transfer, the Specificity Principle from Physical Therapy, I'll talk about that a little bit, and Expensive Framing from uh, Randy Engel, uh, with various places where she's done research there. So inspiration, uh, one of my main sources of inspiration for this is enabling practice number three, explicitly modeling transfer-focused thinking and the application of metacognitive awareness as a conscious and explicit part of a process of learning. And so that's uh, the first part of inspiration. And one important thing about inspiration for me is that, you know, if uh, I'm emphasizing praxis here and I want to uh, sort of uh, draw out a relationship between the theoretical and the practical, um, I've always got to think about how I think about teaching writing and what I know about teaching writing and then also how I'm applying that uh, for the benefit of my students. That's kind of what the uh, uh, statement on um, teaching writing in college is about that last sentence. The driving question is, how can instructors in higher education leverage theory, science, pedagogy, and craft most effectively to help their learners with writing? And so just rehearsing these different bits of inspiration, I think, are really, it's really helpful to do that. Another one from physical therapy, the specificity principle. Um, the specificity principle uh, I, I learned about in a book that I have written by a physical therapist. Uh, because, and the reason I have the book is because I have had some ongoing back problems for a number of years. Uh, the back problems aren't really serious, but I learned that uh, 
you know, what you have to do in order to solve the problem is you have to, or at least, you know, maintain a, uh, a healthy back is you have to think about um, the muscles and the joints and you have to make sure that you hit the right ones in specific ways and that you also uh, use them dynamically. Uh, this this book by uh, Gemmett about physical therapy and spinal stabilization, the argument there is that, you know, you can't just do weight training um, you can't just exercise back muscles to get the results that you want. You have to be able to exercise the back dynamically and build strength dynamically so that the back muscles all work together. Because if you just isolate them, then they don't learn how to work together. But if you do certain movements that um, use all of the muscles in concert with each other, then you get the results you're looking for. And uh, my practical example of that is just about 18 months ago, I uh, did some uh, work in uh, physical therapy. I went to a physical therapist because I had some ongoing back pain, and I finally decided to go in and see if anything could be done. And the physical therapist identified my sacroiliac joint as the problem in my back. It's where the uh, the sacrum and the ilium, uh, I have learned, uh, kind of come together. It's kind of where your hip uh, joins up with your spine. There's a little bit of a, a joint in there. And what my physical therapist did is he would uh, take me, you know, into the um, uh, examination room like a doctor and uh, put me on the table and he would work on that joint a little bit and he would, you know, maybe put some pressure on it, uh, try to get it to uh, pop a little bit if possible. Um, he also did some dry needling, which is uh, kind of like acupuncture uh, to kind of activate the joint. So we'd focus on the joint specifically to kind of activate it and get it loose. And then we would go out into the general uh, workout area and he would give me some other exercises to do. And he would give me homework with exercises to kind of um, work on all of the muscles in my core that could help support the joint. And so there was a lot of movement involved. There was the joint itself, you know, specifically the joint because that was the problem. But then I had to... Uh, you know, do squats and lunges and uh, different kinds of exercises, stretches, uh, lots of things to kind of keep all of the muscles working together dynamically. And uh, through doing that, I've really uh, noticed a big difference in uh, the amount of pain that I have or actually don't have. And it uh, uh, it's because I was working specifically on that area, but then also doing other things to support it. And um, I like to apply that to teaching, too. You know, there are things that we want to do with our students. The brain works that way. It wants to have something specific, but then there also needs to be a lot of other things to help support that specific task. And we'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. Um, another bit of inspiration comes from um, Perkins and Solomon, uh, who um, are very influential in our thinking about transfer. And for them, uh, the implicit assumption in educational practice has been that transfer takes care of itself. So I'm reading from their 1988 article, Teaching for Transfer, in uh, Education Leadership. To be lighthearted about a heavy problem, one might call this the Bo Peep theory of transfer. Let them alone and they'll come wagging their tails behind them. If students acquire information about the Revolutionary War and the westward migration, if they learn some problem-solving skills in math and some critical thinking skills in social studies, all this will be more 
All this will more or less spill over to the many other contexts in and out of school where it might apply, we hope. Unfortunately, considerable research and everyday experience testify that the Bo Peep theory is inordinately optimistic. While the basic skills of reading, writing, and arithmetic typically show transfer, other sorts of knowledge and skill very often do not. And so the idea here is that we can't simply assume that if we teach students something, they're going to go use it somewhere else. And my last bit of information here comes from Expansive Framing. Uh, this is research uh, primarily by Randy Engel. There's a really great article in Educational Psychologist from 2012 there where they uh, rehearse uh, some of this in detail. But uh, the basic idea behind Expansive Framing is that you can have bounded framing where in a classroom the educator ties the purpose of learning to the classroom context where they're, you know, the basic assumption is here's what you need to write this paper, here's what you need to pass that exam, that's the way the teacher talks about it, uh, that's the way they run the classroom. It's all about uh, you know, getting the grade for the class and moving on uh, to the next thing. Expansive framing, on the other hand, as uh, Randy Engel and her colleagues put it, is the educator reinforces the expectation that the knowledge will be used elsewhere, and they do that through various means, you know, through activities. They have a whole list of uh, things that you can do, but uh, things like, um, you know, activities that ha help promote transfer and then also, you know, things like actually using the knowledge in a context where it matters to the student. And so um, that's a really great read, and I would love to cover that sometime. I'd love to cover all of these in more depth on, uh, in the podcast at some point. But um, all of that is to get us to this class activity that uh, I like to do sometimes. Uh, uh, periodically throughout any given semester, I like to do a transfer inventory. And so the way that that works, uh, I like to start with homework often. And the homework is simply, uh, you know, I might write something like this, a prompt, uh, to please bring a list of upcoming assignments from your other classes. These can include writing assignments, quizzes, exams, or other projects. You might bring assignment sheets, class notes, or sample questions, or you might prepare brief written descriptions of assignments or material that you'll need to know. So the idea is to get them to start, you know, even though it's my class, they've got to start thinking about that other class. What's going on in that other class that uh, could be addressed using skills from a writing course? And so they bring that in. And then uh, just it's really kind of a simple activity, but uh, it could take some time depending on how much they talk and uh, how much you can uh, kind of prompt them to talk. And then you could have discussions about it afterward. But um, in groups, um, I like to uh, do groups in terms of hubs where somebody is the note taker. The hub is the note taker. They're kind of the central part. And then uh, the spokes are all of the other members of the group who will uh, you know, do most of the talking while the hub takes the notes and they take turns talking. But anyway, the hub, uh, I usually have them list the names, the date, and their group number at the top of the group notes for today, or whichever day we're on. And then uh, the instruction is uh, simply this. Well, a couple of things. One is um, working together, list all the writing skills we have studied and practiced in class. And so the idea there is to kind of activate their memory of what's been covered in the course and to give them an opportunity just to rehearse and review some of the skills that we've learned, as many as they can remember, together. And then after that, uh, some of the possible results. Uh, these are a lot of things that I like to bring into class, among others. But uh, one really important one is rocks. Uh, that's my shorthand way of talking about genre. Um, it stands for Recurring Occasion, Content, Structure, and Style. And it's inspired by uh, Mikhail Bakhtin and uh, Carola Miller. 
um, especially Mikhail Bakhtin. Uh, there's a passage that he has that's, that uh, where he kind of uses that vocabulary, and I kind of modified it a little bit to create that acronym ROCKS. Um, invention strategies, um, arguments. I like to use stasis theory a lot uh, for you know invention. Um, evidence, uh, lots of writing. There are different kinds of evidence, different kinds of expectations for evidence in different kinds of writing. Um, I think the STAR criteria can be really useful for that. Um, structure. Lots of different ways to do structure. Some of the ones that I cover, uh, one I call familiar to unfamiliar. There's classical argument, Rogerian argument, modified classical argument. Park, that's kind of visual structure, proximity, alignment, repetition, and contrast. Um, style, uh, grammatical structure, tone, diction, sentence length, linguistic register, all of the things that make writing sound a certain way. And different kinds of writing will sound different. If, if uh, you think about a dictionary entry, for example, grammatically it has a structure that's different from, say, an essay or a grocery receipt or uh, lots of other kinds of writing that uh, we might do, a, you know, a, a business report. Um, they're going to sound different. Those different kinds of writing will sound different because of these kinds of elements. And then the penny principle, that's another one that I really like to do for citing sources or formatting, uh, following citation style guides and things. And that is based on a really important study, I think, that gets quoted quite a bit in cognitive psychology um, about uh, long-term memory for a common object. I think that's the title of it. And uh, the idea in there was that they... Uh, had college students draw a penny and the college students couldn't do it very well. And one of the conclusions from that study from 1979 was that um, that uh, our brain doesn't have to memorize the details of a common object like a penny in order to be able to use it. So in other words, in order to you know use a penny uh, when you're purchasing something, you don't need to know which way Abraham Lincoln's face is facing right or left in order to be able to use the penny. You're going to be able to recognize it and use it uh, by other means. And I think that works really well with citing sources, and someday we'll go over that in the podcast as well. But anyway, uh, then what I have the students do is uh, do some flash feedback. So, uh, and that's where the transfer inventory kind of comes into play. So first, you know, they've taken an inventory of things in the class, all the writing skills, that's taking inventory. I like to call that a learning inventory, actually. And maybe I'll put that on here, too. I guess the fun thing about these episodes will be that uh, I can remember things and then add them. So I could say, working together, create a learning inventory. by listing all the writing skills we have studied and practiced in class. And then when it comes to the transfer inventory, we're, what we're doing is simply adding their material from their other class, and we're comparing it to the material from the writing course. And so it goes like this. One person briefly describes assignments from another class, just from their homework group. Um, individuals listen for opportunities to use skills from English on the outside assignments uh, that the first person is describing. Then the group, um, individuals can provide some feedback to uh, the person uh, who presented. So in your view, what opportunities to use our skills stood out to you as you were listening? Uh, the 
first person there from number one takes notes on the group feedback and they may have some things of their own to say that they have noticed and then the group chooses the next person to start again at number one and so the group continues until all members have had a turn to get feedback so uh, everybody gets a chance just to look at what we've learned look at what they're doing now and then giving feedback on how they might um, apply the material from the writing course to the other courses that they are taking and so that to me really kind of speaks to some of the the things that uh, were covered in the podcast uh, in this episode just a few minutes ago so for example uh, the print the specificity principle is really important you know um, uh, when you look at studies in cognitive psychology one thing that stands out to me is that uh, if they are testing something then or for example that the brain remembers what it is supposed to remember so for example if uh, if uh, there are tests that involve memory and they involve involve things like short definitions of something then what's going to happen is that's what the brain is going to remember it's going to remember how to do that the recall is going to get better if the testing is testing for recall recall is going to get better if testing is testing for application application is going to get better and so that specificity principle is really important um, the other thing that's really important is that um, there is a lot of support going on for different kinds of tasks. You know, uh, there's a memory task here in the learning inventory and then in the transfer inventory. Um, it's kind of su- the learning inventory then supports the transfer inventory. The, the specific task we want students' brains to do is to think about how material from their class, their writing class, supports what they're doing in another class. That's the thing. We don't, you know, want to uh, subscribe to the Bo Peep theory and just hope that that's going to happen. We want it to happen right now so that students can see that connection and start making that connection. We don't want to wait for them to do it next semester. We don't want to ask them about next semester. We want to ask them about right now. Um, It's also very expansive because, of course, you know, it's asking them about what's going on in in another class. That's another way to look at it. And so um, it's just a way to try to use uh, these different theories to uh, inform what goes into a classroom lesson. And I really like to do this one just every once in a while. Um, I get some really good feedback from students sometimes or they'll sometimes they'll be excited and tell me about how they um, were able to uh, use something in a psychology class or even use something at a job that they work at, uh, they'll say, hey, I was able to do this, and uh, they can get excited about it. I like to talk to them about it, uh, you know, before and after class, or sometimes during class when they're working on things, I'll ask them what's going on in their other classes or or any other spaces they might occupy. So that's what I have for this episode. I hope it uh, has been beneficial. I, um, I'm doing my best to make it so, and uh Uh, I encourage you to try out the transfer inventory and see how it works and to borrow from this or to change it or adapt it as you see fit. And I think that will conclude episode four. I hope you've had a good time because I have and I will uh, see you next time.